Hello, and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. My name is Caroline Scheinfeld, and I am an experienced designer. I'm currently working for EPAM Continuum based in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. Oh, great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. We were chatting a little bit uh, beforehand, but I'm so excited to have Caroline on because we've actually known each other uh, for a couple months. Uh, we had, I, I texted her out of the blue on um, on, no, I actually messaged you on Instagram and I said, Hey, a friend of ours, uh, said that we should chat and be friends. And so I called you up and you were really, really nice to me. And it was lovely hanging out with you on the phone. And so I wanted to have you come on the podcast here, um, and talk a little bit about yourself and, and everything about you. And so thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having <laughs> me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I, I uh, I really wanted to start at the like the very very beginning, and uh, I did a little bit of uh, cyber stalking on you, <laughs> and uh, no. try, trying to see um, like where you started and everything like that. And um, uh, I saw that the the first thing that comes up um, on how you got into uh, like digital media and everything like that was uh, your time as a director at Rad TV in high school. <laughs> oh man, yeah, to... <laughs> you went far back. I wanted to hear a little bit about like growing up and, and, and how you started. And uh, I'd love to start there if you'd be okay starting there. Sure, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in uh, Villanova, Pennsylvania. Um, I went to Radnor Township School District my whole life, K through 12. I actually graduated high school five years ago today, which is so mind blowing to me <laughs> because it feels like yesterday and a lifetime ago all at the same time. Um, but I had a very fortunate childhood. Um, the school district was really amazing and I was just introduced to so many different types of activities, um, a lot of really cool opportunities within um, the academic system. But I was the, well, I am the third child in my family. So I have two older siblings. Uh, I'm really close with them. And they both tried every activity in the book. They did sports, <laughs> they tried instruments, they did the school plays, they quit a lot of things. And it made my parents say no <laughs> to everything. I was like, can I take a dance class? No. Can I play soccer? <laughs> no, actually, I don't think I ever really wanted to play soccer. But, um, you know, I <laughs> just being the third child, I kind of had to be resourceful with my activities. Um, so I just naturally really gravitated towards arts and crafts. It's something that um, I, it was just very, I don't even know, intuitive uh, to me. I, I've always been extremely crafty. When I was little, I would make houses for fairies and I would cut up wood and paper and make books and candles and bunk beds and <laughs> little boats. Um, I, I, I was just, I had a very vast imagination from a young age and I was really able to build worlds. Um, as I grew up, that, that, imagination that comes with being a young child you know it tends to go away a little bit as you uh start to see what the world is really like but I am fortunate so I'm 23 I was born in 1998 and by the time I was in middle school social media was really starting to flourish um I I was pretty active on tumblr back in its uh prime which <laughs> 
it definitely dates me a little bit. It's kind of wild to me that that's like so old school now um, because it was very modern at the time. But I feel like so many of my passions came together on Tumblr. It was a way for me to interact with digital media in a uh, just a way that I never really had seen before. You know, if anybody's ever been on Tumblr before, if you haven't been on it before, there's a couple different post types. So you can post text, you can post videos, photos. Um, you can link out to other platforms and ask people questions. So I just started interacting with other people, which, you know, is what every parent warns you against talking to strangers on the internet. But I <laughs> followed the opposite direction and I actually made some really good friends who I'm still in touch with now. Um, I just found some really like-minded communities on Tumblr and I felt like I was really able to dig into some of my hobbies. So that inner artist in, in me uh, started to come out in more of a digital media context. Um, so I started learning how to make GIFs um, on Photoshop. I downloaded a bootleg version of uh, <laughs> the Adobe Cloud. I hope they don't come after me for this, but I think <laughs> every designer has the same story. I was just talking to my UX team about this, like how many of us actually got to where we are today because of one bootleg copy of design software back in the day and it turns <laughs> out it's like everyone um but I just started really experimenting and I was a huge like Justin Bieber and One Direction fan in the beginning and so I would oh take my. videos and turn them into gifts and um I it just came really naturally to me you know that that was something that I just really enjoyed. I was not great in school. Um, I love learning, but academics just always felt very suffocating to me. I'm not good at tests. I'm not very good at remembering like details if I have to put them out onto uh, an open-ended question. Like I'm good at writing an essay, but I just, you know, there were certain things in school that I just always struggled with. And so the internet really became like this outlet to me where I would come home and I'd hop onto my computer and I was able to interact with um, people who I felt like were more in alignment with my values and I could really just like kind of go down rabbit holes with with my new interests there was always something new to learn and something new to be introduced to um, and I just loved it about that so I you know I really feel like this when you talk about the start of my career like it's I, I have Tumblr to thank. Um, I made several blogs and I started learning how to code through that I started like customizing Tumblr themes because I wanted to see, you know, how many people were looking at my page right now and how many people have always looked at my page. And I wanted to change the background color and make the cursor something custom. Uh, and little did I know at that time, you know, I was learning the basics of HTML, CSS and some minor JavaScript like um, really getting a basic web development uh, exposure. And uh, at that time, I actually, I had like a food blog and I really wanted, I'm super into baking. I really wanted to have a cupcake <laughs> shop when I grew up. Like that was my dream was to go to culinary school. Um, and it wasn't until the end of my freshman year of high school when I learned that web design was something that you could do for a living. I just thought it was kind of like a fun, quirky hobby. I didn't really realize that there's actually a very large industry um, behind making the internet what it is. And at that time, you know, I'm an experienced and visual designer now. Um, at that time, like nobody was talking about UI or UX, or if they were, it was in really specific pockets already within the tech and design industries. Like it wasn't being introduced uh, to younger kids. 
we didn't have as much access to things like Code with Classy or Hour of Code. They they started to do that later when I was in high school, but it really wasn't introduced to me um, from an out from an external source. Those were things that I was exploring on my own in my own time. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I started coding on Tumblr, then I started taking uh, lots of free coding lessons online and learning how to build little video games and uh, animate graphics. And it was just really a blast. And it felt like something that felt it just felt like something that I wanted to pursue um, because it came naturally to me, it excited me. Uh, and I felt like I was pretty good at it. So I ended up going down the route um, that most people don't go down in high school, where I only applied to one college, which was Drexel University, uh, yeah. where Emily <laughs> is currently attending, about to graduate, shout out. <laughs> um, and I found the interactive digital media program in, I guess it was probably like 2014 or 2015. And I just completely fell in love. I knew that it was the only one for me. So for your listeners who don't necessarily know about Drexel's programs, what makes Drexel really unique is the co-op. Um, so you have the opportunity to stop taking classes and work full-time, uh, get real-life experience in business context, and that was very intriguing to me. I've, I've had several internships in a variety of industries, and um, I just always like the idea of experiential learning. I'm somebody who learns best hands-on, and so I really wanted to explore what that could be like in an academic sense. Um, but the, the number one thing that really brought me into the IDM program was that in 2015, it was extremely difficult to find a program that covered both design and development. Mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of programs that were geared towards the more technical side of things. So more of a computer science track uh, where you're learning all of the different coding languages, lots of software, um, you know, just the, the more technical side of things that are really behind the screen and, and nitty gritty and lots of details. I have many friends who uh, studied computer science and they are so smart. I just don't think that I really have that, uh, <laughs> that mindset. So I, I apologize for the phone ringing in the background. I can stop and let Oh, that I don't hear stop. it. Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the computer science, there was a, the, many schools have a computer science track. Um, mm -hmm. That's just more on the technical side of things. And then other schools had more of an art school, uh, like a, like a art at, or graphic design path to it, where you're really focusing on typography, color palettes, you know, layout and the grid system and um, how to make things really beautiful and aesthetic, but not necessarily focusing on the usability or the features and functionality side. So I knew that I kind of wanted a mix of the two. I, I was really intrigued by coding um, because it, it challenged me a lot, but I also knew that I was, I'm, I'm naturally, um, I sway towards the design side of things. And so I struggled to find a program that really encompassed both uh, until I found the Drexel Interactive Digital Media Program. So I applied to that program and that one only, and I ended up getting in. Uh, and then I attended that program from 2016 to 2020. So I was one of the uh, infamous 
pandemic graduates <laughs> that uh, did not get any sort of ceremony, um, graduated on my parents' couch, which was pretty anticlimactic after what, you know, 20 years of education. But that is how I got to where I am today. Uh, I'm now working as a hybrid experience and visual designer at EPAM Continuum. They're a global tech solutions company with about 40,000 employees around the world. Uh, I, I love what I do. I work with really talented people and I get to work with some really big brands um, focusing on, on complex problems with data driven design and research. Uh, and it's, it's a really cool first job out of college, I have to say. Oh, yeah, that's, that's such a, a journey. I, I, I remember talking to you and I would love to hear you talk about it now is um uh the the moment um when you came home uh from school and you were deciding what you really wanted to do and and like you were graduating and uh going into the world. I remember you talking to me a little bit about uh that process. Uh would you mind talking about that that now? Sure. Yeah. So like I said, I, I graduated June 2020, which was a friggin' weird time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it that way, right? Like it was a lot. There was a lot happening. The weather was getting super hot. The pandemic was in, you know, the peak of it was a scary time. We did not know what we know now. You know, my mom was afraid to bring the mail in the house. My sister oh my. is an emergency room nurse. So she was taking care of COVID patients every day for months, oh um, sleeping separately from her husband and her baby. And I was very scared for my parents who were older. It was a really stressful time. And I was actually living by myself when the pandemic started. So I had no roommates. And when they said, you know, pretend like everything is uh, has like toxic chemicals, on, like just picture them in the air. Don't leave your house. Mm -hmm. I took that very seriously. And I did not see another human for 87 days. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was a lot. And I learned so much about myself. And I just felt like you know, that everything that was going on and then in um, conjunction with the social justice movements and just the energy of, the, of Philadelphia with the National Guard there and um, them, you know, put, spraying tear gas uh, on innocent protesters on the highway, like it was just, it didn't feel anything like the life that I had three months prior when I was in uh, classes at Drexel and Absolutely. about to graduate. And I thought, you know, at that time, the biggest thing that I really had to worry about was, oh, what am I going to do after college? And I feel that all of these perspectives uh, changes, every everything that was happening externally in my environment just, just warped my perspective on, you know, what, what I really needed to prioritize, which was you know, my, my safety, my family's safety, uh, the safety of my friends and their loved ones, like really making sure that I'm amplifying voices to those who really need to be heard. Um, I, I like completely redefined my expectations and, and my own personal relationship with social media. Like I wasn't posting anything that had to do with me for months. I was just boosting other people's content because mm. there was so many more important things to be talked about. Um, 
and it was just a really interesting time, you know, and you'll hear this now that you're about to graduate, Emily, that the, that being like 22, 23, 24, it's one of the weirdest times of your life. If you go oh, yeah. the traditional education <laughs> route where you're graduating and some of your friends are, they already have a job offer at Goldman Sachs and they're moving to San Francisco or mm-hmm. someone's moving to New York City <laughs> and they have a flashy apartment and they're getting engaged and some people are having babies and you're like, I'm a baby. What's going on? <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't know anything anymore. And it's, it's a scary time that in conjunction with all of the other scary things that were happening, it was a lot to deal with. And so I, when my lease ended at the end of June, I moved home with my parents and I never thought I would be so happy to live with my parents after college, (laughs) but I was just so desperate to be around my loved ones. And like I said, I'm very close with my family. So um, the, the feeling of being reunited with them will forever be like one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It was very uh, difficult to be apart for so long. So I was just happy to be home and to feel like I'm in safe solitude and surrounded by some green nature and pretty flowers. And I could hear the birds chirping instead of like, you know, the military tanks going up the streets when the National Guard took over Drexel's campus, like life was just, it was a lot in that moment. And so, you know, I thought, I've known what I wanted to do my entire life, which was to design things that make life better for people. That's, that's basically my mission statement, which I've never like written before. But I think if I had to sum it up, that would be what it is. And I wasn't sure if becoming a UX designer for the tech industry was really the route that I wanted to go down when I was graduating in this moment where everybody really needed to do some work and look inward and see, you know, are you using all of your skills to the best of your ability to uplift other people who need the help, who need, you know, resources to be more accessible to them or Mm. um, just need support? And I really wanted to make sure that whatever step I took next after graduation was going to be something that was helping people instead of just helping me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really struggled whether or not I wanted to go down the freelance route or if I wanted to work with a, a contracted position with a freelance agency or if I wanted to go back to my prior employer, um, Oh, I didn't mention my, so I, my, my co-op experience was with EPAM, the company that I worked with. So spoiler alert, that's the, <laughs> that's the choice <laughs> that I ended up doing, um, making, but I, I just really wasn't sure about, you know, much of anything like many of us a year ago. And it wasn't until I had a conversation uh, with one of my directors who is in charge of experience design for EPAM North America. Um, And I I was just talking to them about what kind of work opportunities were available. And I mean, I just, I love this company so much. I really would have never thought I'd end up in a giant corporation, Um, but they really 
follow a human-centered design process, not only within the client work, but the way that they treat their employees. And I felt that from our very initial conversation back in 2018, when I was interviewing for the co-op position, and um, all the way to this very moment that I've always been spoken to with respect um, and that I've been given fair opportunities and that they everybody is just so willing to help. Everybody is very encouraging. They're motivated. They're passionate about what they do. And I think they recognize some of the same things in me. And so it was always just a really nice conversation. Didn't feel like an interview. It didn't feel like a test. Um, it felt like I was connecting with really like-minded people who had the same values and the same passions. Um, and I saw myself fit into the work culture there. So back in July, I received a message from their team after uh, several weeks later after talking that said, you know, we are hiring UX designers and we would like it to be you. Aww, and I was like, great. well, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that was, that, that was a very affirming moment for me because I felt for weeks, I mean, I, I wish I could show you, I had hundreds of index cards just laying around my uh, lower level apartment where like I was, I was just writing down things that I'm interested in, education, research, community design, like engaging with other people, um, designing courses, creating brand identities, like whiteboarding challenges, usability testing. Like I was writing <laughs> everything that I could possibly think of that aligned with the things that, you know, I see fitting into my professional life and my capabilities and uh, I was just trying to figure out what what was the right path for me. And and I I really wasn't sure because it felt like there were several that could have worked out. But mm. ultimately, you know, receiving that email uh, was kind of like, OK, I think the universe is pushing me in this. Story. Like, I, I've never heard of an offer like that before. And it just felt it felt so right. And it felt like the answer to the question I've been pondering for for months. Um and so I, I took the position and I never looked back and it has been such an amazing almost year already, which I, I really just cannot believe how fast time is flying these days. Um, but I have had the opportunity to work with people all over the world in Finland, Poland, Russia, the Ukraine, Amsterdam, Canada, like my clients are from all oh over my. the world. You know, we're talking to people. My last project was 12 people across five different time zones. We had like six different languages between the 12 of us. And I just feel like I'm constantly learning so much from my coworkers. Um, the projects are really challenging, but in a good way, I just feel like I'm, I'm always learning something new and it's been, you know, it has not been an easy transition from academia to a, a full-time career post-grad. Mm. Um, but I don't regret it one bit. <laughs> I, I love hearing your story because I, I, I remember listening to you uh, when we had our first chat on the phone and, and hearing it again, I just, I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> I, Thanks. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit since we're on the topic now. Um, uh, so you said that, that you weren't sure really what you wanted to do, but that you wanted something that really w was fitting with the values that you had that you wanted to help other people and make things work better and improve people's lives. And so when you decide to go with a, a big company like EPAM, 
I wanted to hear what is it that you get to do that you you feel is so fulfilling about the job that you chose and why you chose it? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and I feel like it's not a short answer. So I like EPAM specifically because we get very large clients, um, universities, corporations, probably some apps that you have on your phone. I'm not going to mention any specifics because <laughs> most of the work we do is under NDA or like seven NDAs. <laughs> um, but I really like EPAM because they're all about digital transformation. Um, mm. And what I didn't know before I went on my co-op and worked for them for six months in 2019 was that so many of these large companies that we grow up seeing ads for in magazines or maybe in the aisles of your local grocery store, um, you think that because they're these massive corporations that have brand rec like recognizable brand names, you think that they have their shit together <laughs> and <laughs> they don't uh, most of them don't so what I really enjoy about the work that I get to do as an experienced designer is you know I'll be working on let's say like a data analysis software for a dairy company mm. and so when you're a consumer you know just someone like you or I or, or anybody who's listening right now like when you go to the grocery store and you grab a bottle of milk off the uh, uh, off of the shelf you you don't think about what it takes to get there and everything mm. that goes into the packaging design um, and the logistics of the milk being shipped to the grocery store and how that company tracks what products sell the best or where they need to boost certain areas and put more resources into certain categories. Um, there is so much behind the scenes that we don't see. And what I love about my job as an experience designer is I get this like sneak peek behind the curtain and I get to see all of the technology that goes into making these corporations successful or run well. And you just really would not expect so many big names to still be following systems that are completely paper trail or mm. they have three different platforms but there's broken links and it's confusing language and there's all these sorts of problems that the people who are working for these companies that you don't really interact with as a regular consumer um, you don't get to see what their day-to-day -day looks like and people are really frustrated and mm. I have the opportunity to create a solution come up with a concept in my own mind and um maybe you know I could be outlining a strategy or sometimes I get to go all the way through a discovery effort and visualize a concept and deliver this solution to a team that has never even thought about these problems before because usually the stakeholders that you're working with are not the people who are interacting with the systems that are broken mm. they're overviewing all of it they're several le levels up and they're hearing you know over years through the, the chain of, of whispers, uh, what kind of feedback it's getting or, or why it's causing uh, a, a problem or, or mostly what's causing them to not make as much money as they could be making. Mm. Uh, and so I, as somebody who is really driven by 
the empath like the empathic side of design and really focused on that end user um i get to kind of sit at the middle point between the stakeholders and that end user and think okay how can i solve the problem that the user is encountering while also making it as profitable as possible for the stakeholders and it's it's like a superpower that you get to control <laughs> the way that an industry is run because who's to say that something that we don't come up with now is not going to become a standard in five years because there's mm. no standard when it comes to digital um like digital frameworks yet i mean what we have seen industries completely transform themselves redefine how they operate in the past year because of the pandemic mm -hmm. uh and you know say, take the concert industry for example up until recently there were no musical events being um created at all now finally restrictions are starting to lift and music festivals are going to be running this fall and lots of artists are announcing their tours which i'm so happy to see um but until now, people who worked within the music industry really had to pivot and adapt their workflow to meet the needs of their audience. Now, you know, when you can't do an in-person event, how can you transform that into a digital context? And that's really the job that I have for maybe it's a, you know, an artist who wants to plan a concert. Um, maybe it's a real estate agency. Maybe it's an insurance company. Um, I, I did some work for a shipping and handling service, uh, mm. a Canadian grocery chain. Like it, it, it's really, the sky is the limit with what we can do now and what tools we have available to us. Um, and the, it, this is just the beginning. I mean, everybody is really going to have some sort of digital presence, no matter what industry you're in now. And so I feel pretty fortunate that my this industry that I have just entered um, as a newbie, I've got so much more to learn. And I love just soaking up information like I have probably another 20, 30 years in this job. And I can't even wait to see what technology rolls out that hasn't even been thought of yet that will completely transform the way that we work. That is that is always the most exciting thing. The The fact that every 10 years, there's something that comes out that you couldn't even imagine as being a possibility. And now you're working with it and it's part of your framework. It's just like the coolest thing. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> So I totally relate to that. Um, so, so yeah, so there's all of these different things that, that you do and it's, it all seems so exciting. And I, I always love asking people who, who are problem solvers and, and, and work in this space, uh, how you approach the idea of, so you have this project and they, they have a certain way of doing stuff. It's super hard to change it because they're a large company, um, or at least I imagine that it's super hard to change it. When I, when I think of the way that, that maybe a software works in, in a large company or, or anything like that, I imagine it as, as being as hard as, as turning a cruise ship. Like it can happen, mm -hmm. but it just takes a lot of effort. Um, yes. So I, as you've done a bunch of, oh, oh, sorry, my alarm was going off um no yeah as you uh do all of these projects um how do you even start trying to 
understand the user and and approach them and and start interviews when there's so many people that are involved in this system that you're trying to redesign yeah the good that's a good question um and it really changes every project so it really depends on the scope of of your effort um and whether it's a discovery project where you are purely just uncovering insights and um coming up with some key takeaways to present to the client, or if you're moving into implementation and you're actually going to be building out what you have created during that discovery phase. Um, but I think the, the process uh, is basically the same for every project. And that is this concept of uncover, define, ideate, build, and design. So in the uncover stage, you're really focused on the customer and the brand and the business insights. Um, you really want to understand the client's business and see what their total business offering is and what kind of customer relationships they have, the business infrastructure, revenue streams, cost structures. Like you are, you're paying, they are paying a lot to have you work on this project. And so you have to be um, using your time to its maximum benefit. Um, in the defined straight stage, you, you're really focused on the experience strategy um, and figuring out what is the problem that you're trying to solve. You, you want to be considering just the, the purpose. If you had to boil down what you were working on, you know, really figure out what is the main goal that you're trying to achieve here. Uh, in the ideate phase, you are really immersing yourself in the project at this point. Um, you're thinking about all of the interdisciplinary uh, parts of the project and what kind of opportunities are available. The sky's really the limit when it mm -hmm. comes to this part where you are, you want to be coming up with um, not only, uh, not necessarily a large quantity of ideas, but really high quality ideas. Um, sometimes you don't need several uh, routes of action, but normally people like options. And so you tend to come up with like one or two routes that you feel very confident that if your client chose either uh, route of action, that you would be successful and that you would be solving again, that problem statement that you've defined in the beginning. Mm. Um, then if you are moving into the implementation phase, then that's more of the building out the concept and in uh, kind of at the same time or directly after you're going to be designing that experience. Uh, and I, I think what most people don't understand about the design process, unless you have been taught it in school or have had to learn it within your own role, um, is that it's iterative and it's constantly changing. And so it's okay to go back to step one. And, you know, if you find while you're in the ideation phase, that's something you uh, stated in the beginning is not actually accurate, you can redefine what that is and move forward in a way that makes more sense for that project. Um, so you're constantly going back and making sure that you're implementing any feedback that you've received. The best advice that I can give anybody for any type of project is to get an external opinion. Um, mm. You really want to get feedback from, even if it's a coworker or a friend, I've asked my family members, sometimes my parents who, you know, my mom's a baby boomer. Like I love asking her opinion on things because if she can understand it, then most people probably could. <laughs> um, 
but I love hearing a, a wide variety of perspectives, asking old people, young people, people of different genders, ethnicities, ages, religions, like it really, you know, depending on what the, the context of the project you're working on. Um, but you want to make sure that you are getting uh, feedback from real people with a diverse set of mindsets um, mm. that is going to help you. That's that's going to help you build a product that is accessible to a wide audience and is not just um, something that makes sense to you in your own designer brain. Absolutely. You know, that people talk a lot. People talk a lot about having um, sometimes you will have clients and their personal opinions can lead the design process. And it can be really tough because if the business owner's wife's favorite color is orange, that doesn't mean you have to design everything as orange because you as the designer have this, um, this expertise to fall back on that you know, based off of doing market or industry research, that people are going to associate the business type more with green instead of orange. And you have to figure out how to uh, present that those findings to the client in a way that makes them feel heard and not personally offended. Um, mm -hmm. And the way you really lead, you know, lead with that is, is with data. So I highly encourage, even if you're just working on your own personal brand, reaching out to people and asking, hey, what do you think about this? Um, because you never know what kind of feedback you're going to get. Sometimes people are like, oh, it's good. You know, so especially if you're asking your friends, they'll just be yeah. like, looks great, <laughs> but they have no further feedback. But sometimes you'll get really in-depth answers and there are things that you would have never thought of on your own. Uh, that's something that I really appreciate about you, Emily, is that you Aww. came to me and said, you know, like, I'd love to hear your opinion uh, on my portfolio. And I didn't even know you yet. Um, <laughs> so I, I liked getting to know you in that sense where, you know, I was a complete stranger and I didn't know anything about you as a person. And so looking at your portfolio, you know, when I was really able to understand the story of how you got to where you are today, like there, you know, that that's very validating that the work you've done has told the story well. Um, and that that's what design is really is storytelling. Like it's visual storytelling. So it's, Absolutely. it's always helpful to interact with uh, a real live audience. You'll always get the best information there. The, the thing that, that has drawn me so close into this industry was actually exactly what we're talking about right now it's just the total shift in the way that you look at the world when you're constantly having to put your ego aside and say how I think about this isn't the end-all be-all it's way more important for my success in this project to really really care about how other people look at this how they interact with it even if if I, in my mind, think that everything that I've set up is a very clear pathway on how the user is going to go through it, if the users don't actually get it and are getting stuck, it's not successful. So it's the the whole idea of just having this total different way of looking at things that is so not self-centered is, is something that, that really draws me not only to user experience design, but even just to 
other people like you <laughs> that that I I know that you've done all of this stuff and and you have a different way of looking at things than other people that that I'm friends with and so that's something that I always really loved do, do you feel that way too when when you started getting to UX and especially user testing and usability certainly and and I think you know so when I, I took one UX class in college and um, out of all of the design courses, and I, I took many writing and research courses uh, throughout my time at Drexel, but this class was the one that really felt, I just, it just clicked for me. Um, it was a, a natural way of working because it's all based in empathy and understanding human behavior. Mm-hmm. And while I really enjoyed the visual design side of things, I felt that, you know, design is more than just fonts and gradients and wireframes and canvases. It's all about clarifying the purpose of your product and how you want people to interact with it. Then you can really think about how you can shape the user's experience around this. Um, You really want to consider the entire process that it takes your user to accomplish their goal without technology. So like in that class, I uh, was assigned, we had to to design a user interface um, for a mobile application that was all about um, ordering at a food truck. Mm, And so the, the task itself, you know, is to order a meal within this, sorry, I just hit my, (laughs) (laughs) Um, the task for this class was all about ordering a meal. Um, And you had to go through the process of looking through a menu, selecting an item and going all the way to checkout. But what we really had to take a step back and consider was how do users get to that spot um, where they're looking through the menu? And the thought process is that somewhere along the line, their brain said, I'm hungry. And that led them down this course of action. So when you can tap into your user's mindset and what has led them to a product, it's it's almost kind of like reverse engineering where you consider the end state behavior that you hope to observe before you even start talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that for people who are really passionate about UX, we have this mindset where we know what it takes to get into people's shoes and kind of just consider their perspective. And for me personally, I didn't feel that connection when I was doing web development. Ironically, that's what I went to school to study because I liked coding so much and I wanted it um, at the same time as I was doing design work, but development, I felt like, like was detached. You receive a, a description of the work you're supposed to do. You need, you know, you understand the output that you need to create, and then you go ahead and build it. And while that's an exciting process on its own, and it comes with its own struggles and successes, um, it just wasn't very fun for me. And it wasn't natural. It, it made my brain flex in a way that it didn't naturally do. Whereas I felt that the UX path really introduced me to things that I do naturally, like talk to people and ask them <laughs> questions and care about their answers and think about how you can gain insight from those conversations and use it to create a better world. I knew that that's what I've always wanted to do, regardless of what industry I went in. You know, I wanted to go to culinary school. I wanted to be a therapist for years. Like, and it's all about creating an environment that lets people feel like they can live the life 
that they need to live, one that feels really in truth with their, um, or in alignment with their truths. And I like that the UX role allows me to sit at this like middle access point of consumers and stakeholders and really ask the questions um, with my teammates who are other UX designers and see how we can create the most intuitive, seamless, efficient, uh, successful product, no matter what the project is supposed to be. I, as we're talking about empathy and we're talking about getting to know users and understanding what they need, you have this this really, I'm, I have to say, like, like this beautiful time in your life that you told me about, um, where uh, you said that you worked at the the Women's Center um, at Drexel, and and you you did a lot for um, so for for the the community and and everything like that. I wanted to talk to you a little bit there about about what it was like to um, really help people there and understand people more at a in a face-to-face uh rather than um this whole more formal ideation uh that you do in user experience that it was a totally different experience for you but I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that as we're talking about empathy Sure. So I worked within Drexel's Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion, uh, running the Women's Resource Center for about three years. Uh, And it started because of bad research. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I was a member of Greek Life. I was in a sorority. And uh, there was a survey that came out in the fall of 2017 that was sent to um, probably like 11 or 11% of Drexel's student body, uh, people Mm. who were in um, panhellenic, interfraternal, or multicultural uh, sororities and fraternities. Gotcha. And in this survey, there was a five-question section that had a trigger warning with it um, about sexual assault. Oh, my. And so... What they said that they wanted to try and grasp was what they call rape supportive attitudes on campus and understanding uh, how people feel about sexual assault and victim blaming and whether they subscribe to it or not. And so they asked what they thought were, um, I guess, unbiased questions, but they used the word slut in two questions where one of them was um, one of the questions on a five-point Likert scale from strongly disagree to strongly agree, you had to answer whether or not you felt that if a girl was dressed like a slut, she was probably looking to hook up. And that if a sorority (laughs) woman, yeah, it was, it was pretty nuts. So they, they had another one, if a sorority woman goes upstairs with a guy and something happens to her she should have known that it was happening when she went up the stairs like strongly disagree strongly agree it was I'll send you the screenshot if you'd like to include this anywhere because of course I still have all this documented but basically you know I I was in the sorority we have hundreds of people in it and the group chat starts immediately blowing up everyone is like yo what the f is this 
are these questions like did they really just try and use the word slut in legitimate research um so I decided to be the one to make a stink about it because I felt like this could not be ignored I ended up getting super high up on the chain the president of Drexel University John Fry personally emailed me back saying I'm so sorry this should have never happened like we are going to fix this I ended up in all of these conversations with high leadership for student life and you know vice presidents of the student body like uh, uh, faculty members whose job it is to make sure that students are happy and I was in a lot of conversations that uh, felt passionate in the moment but I realized as soon as I walked out of the door that a lot of them were just you know checking that meeting off of their to-do list Mm -hmm. like I was just the feminist student who wasn't happy with some research and they didn't really want to do much more after that. Um, but I got a, an email from, um, someone high up on the administration that said, you know, we really encourage that you don't just let this be a moment that happens to you in college and that you really use this to fuel your fire and, uh, and, and pursue something that takes these emotions and alchemizes them into something that has a real impact and at the time I thought that that was kind of like a cop-out that they really should have been doing the work and not me like my job Mm. is to be a student at that time Um, but I actually took their advice uh, seriously because after one meeting um, with with a couple of women I had a you know just kind of unfulfilling conversation and when I left the room I ended up turning around in the hallway and going back and talking to this one person um, who at the time was running the Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion. And I came in Mm. and I said, listen, I think you understand what really happened here. And we were fully on the same page. I said, I don't feel like I'm really being heard in these conversations. and, And I know that they're over now. And I wouldn't wanna know what I can do next to really like they said, take this experience and use it to guide something greater than just myself. Um, In the, in the process of all of this, I, you know, posted uh, on Facebook and it ended up getting like, um, in the, in the process of all of this, I, you know, posted uh, on Facebook and it ended up getting like hundreds of comments and shares and um, all these people were calling into Drexel and expressing how upset they were that this happened. Alumni were reaching out and saying they're going to stop donating. Um, It it got picked up on a couple local news sources. I was interviewed for Philly Mag and it was like really wild. It just felt like everything kind of happened overnight. Um, And you know, basically everyone was just outraged by the vocab that they use. And that was the point that I was trying to make. I said, I understand that you were trying to um, understand what the, what the climate is like within Greek life at Drexel, but this is just not the way to do it. And as a mm. trained researcher within my program, I said, I would have gotten a very bad grade on a project if I used biased language like that. Because mm. to me, I'm thinking, you know, I read these questions and what does a slut look like? You know, when they say a, if a sister is dressed like a slut, she's probably looking to hook up. Like, what am I supposed to think of in my own head it's just yeah 
there's no scientific definition to that word. And that was the point that I just wanted to prove was like, it was inappropriate language. Well, they ended up pulling the survey. Turns out Drexel did not even write the survey. They hired this company called Dyad Strategies um, that had per, uh, performed the survey at like 30 other colleges. And oh apparently goodness. nobody else had a problem at any of the other schools. Uh, but I highly doubt that. I think just nothing happened at those schools. So um, it ended up making a big ripple. And I, I spoke with this one staff member and I said, listen, you know, I think we're on the same page. I just want to know what I can do. I was really involved in high school. Like, like you started off this conversation with, I was the director of the TV studio, but I, my senior year, I was in 19 clubs and I ran five of them. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> I, like of course I, like you I, did. <laughs> Like I said, I wasn't huge into academics. And so I just pursued everything that wasn't that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just, I was a competitive cheerleader for years. Like I enjoy rooting for people who, who deserve the support. And I just wanted to try to make a difference on Drexel's campus in a way that I really felt like I could make the impact that I, I feel I'm meant to make and not just join a club and show up to a meeting and sign a form that says I was there and not actually see any real tangible change. Mm -hmm. So um, at the at that time, uh, the person guided me down to the basement of the Cree Student Center and they were like, okay, this is the Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion. And it was basically an empty cluster of offices uh, and they said, this is the Women's Resource Center. And it was like a L-shaped desk in the corner and an empty bookshelf and like one chair. And I was like, okay, great. Like, where are the resources? <laughs> um, it was about two and a half weeks old. And they said, there are no resources yet, but you can do whatever you want with this. If you want to host events, we will, you know, if we will fund them. If you want to get things catered, we will, we will purchase it through our budget. If you want to collaborate with or other organizations, we'll get you in touch with them. Like anything you need, the sky is the limit. We will help you do it. Um, and so I ended up connecting with some incredible people who had, you know, similar passions or similar stories. They felt that they weren't represented by other groups on campus and they sought out the Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion so that they could be um, in a space that was just really welcoming of their authentic selves. And we ended up doing incredible work together. We put on several event series and I got to connect with a lot of prospective students who were visiting um, from high schools and looking into college. And I ended up, you know, getting to fulfill some mentorship roles and connecting with other local organizations that create resources for survivors of sexual assault and people who are recovering from addiction. Um, people who were struggling with period poverty and it was just the best thing that ever happened to me at my time at Drexel um what started as a really unfortunate incident ended up leading me to this community that I don't know I would have known that I needed um had I not been forced to see that I I, I just didn't feel that I was being represented by the kind of language that Drexel was putting out there and the Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion allowed me to connect with people who felt the same way and do something about it. Um, and, and that was just so 
validating. And so I highly recommend that whether you're in a university or not, if you feel like there's something out there that seems to be representing you and it isn't, that you connect with other people or at least raise your voice and the community will come and help you to boost that. And you will find the people that are your people who represent you in the light that you would like to be represented within. That's that's such an amazing story about how that worked out and, and, and how you were introduced to that. I wanted to ask, how did you find out what was needed? So it seems like you started with just this, this blank slate, uh, empty office, <laughs> pretty much. And so how did you figure out what the students needed in terms of, if I'm looking at it from a user experience standpoint, like the the user research, how did you figure that out? Was it just talking to people? Was it doing any sort of analytics or anything like that? Yeah, so we, you know, started putting out our own surveys, but mostly it was events. Mm. Uh, we brought in guest speakers to talk about topics that we didn't feel that the academic courses really offered. Um, mm. So bringing in people who have been critical in the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement, um, celebrating LGBTQ pride. Shout out Happy Pride Month, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, so and- when, you say, uh, when you say critical, do you say they were criticized by other people or they were critical of the movements? Uh, both, definitely oh, both okay. when it comes to working within a social movement. But I, but I mean, people who um, were really like movers and shakers and and mm. key players in um, in expressing a statement that maybe most people don't agree with. Mm. Um, so one thing that we found uh, that I specifically was involved with and, and helped lead the charge of was that on Drexel's campus there were a lot of clubs for women women in education, women in business, women in STEM, women in engineering, like Asian women, um, immigrant women, any, any sort of group existed, but there wasn't one that was just like women. <laughs> um, so That is a good point. We, yeah, you know, everything felt very siloed into one industry or one type of identity group. And I suppose you could say the same for a, a, a women-oriented space, but we wanted to create something that allowed you to just connect with other women on campus, uh, whether you're in the undergrad program, in the medical school, in the law school, um, doing the online grad degrees. We just wanted to create a space that would allow you to collect, connect with a multidisciplinary community and talk about whatever was um, relevant that week. So uh, we started off with, I think it was myself and my three coworkers for the first several of them. Uh, We started this event series called Hour of Power, and it would be like a catered one hour event where we just hung out and talked and ate and connected. Um, And by the end of, I think probably nine months, uh, we had 50 something people showing up to every event. We had plenty of people showing up and, and, and I'll be honest, a lot of them were just there for the free food, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, go ahead, get that, get that brown bag. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I, I was happy to connect with freshmen and fifth year seniors. And we even had graduate students who were mothers who brought their children, um, people who, you know, have the, the trans experience and they got Mm. to talk about what being a woman means to them and what kind of women's issues affect them in particular. And, and really just creating a space that was intersectional and accessible to everybody uh, allowed me to meet so many cool people, really dope people with awesome stories that deserve to be told. And sometimes we would have a guided um, activity or discussion. Sometimes we had guest speakers uh, in the beginning of, well, actually right before the pandemic hit, um, we worked with this one company um, where we created period kits and uh, we were, we built little boxes that were going to go all over the bathrooms across all of Drexel's campus, including their center city location um, as well as university city. And uh, we had thousands of pads and tampons donated. Unfortunately, the pandemic hit like two weeks later and no one was going into Drexel buildings anymore. So I think they were all sent out. Unfortunately, that happened like right as I was about to graduate. So um, Mm. I'm not sure what ended up getting picked up with that. But actually, I was able to introduce some of the people who were in my sorority uh, to the Hour of Power events. They would started showing up with me. And then when I graduated, they started taking over. So like my friend Rowan kind of filled in my shoes. She shadowed me for a couple months and then she has been charge since yeah yeah I I remember her yeah that's so funny that you know each other I I remember I don't know how we met but I remember meeting at a couple different events or or we were just uh in the same spaces at some point but uh yeah so that's that's how it works right is like you know we all just overlap with with certain interests or um parts of our identity and you end up hearing oh you should talk to so and so you should connect with this person and then it ends up taking you down this path that you could have never imagined um we we really saw our community transform once the pandemic hit and everything went into a virtual environment uh we we took our hour of power series and transformed it into uh chai chats and so that became Mm. like a one hour guided discussion where experts in their field came in and started talking to us about things like cooking while stuck at home and Mm. um being a your own self-advocate within the healthcare system uh what else we talked about homelessness and period poverty and um gay discrimination within the workplace uh all all sorts of different topics and basically anything that our audience expressed they were interested in learning uh we we were able to connect with somebody who is really well educated has done their research has ample experience and we're able to come in and uh really teach um, some valuable lessons to the people who attend our events. So that's kind of where I left things off at the Women's Resource Center. I'm still in touch with their amazing director, Maurice Cotman, who is one of my mentors, an absolutely incredible man who is changing the student experience for um, the population at Drexel. And I'm just so grateful for that whole wild ride that that led me <laughs> down a journey I could have never imagined but I it, it really did change my entire undergrad experience and I'm so thankful for it I I do want to ask you 
and this may be more of a, a personal thing, but um, so I have my own kind of relationship with uh, uh, the whole womanhood thing and just uh, the idea of, of things being uh, business clubs for women, this for women. And I've, I've kind of have been on my own little um, uh, journey trying to understand how I feel about that because uh, so I, right now I'm living in a, in a house that is um, all my roommates are guys, this whole uh, COVID I'm, I've been the only girl that I've really interacted with at all. (laughs) And so I'd be texting my friends and stuff like that, but I, it was definitely a weird experience to, and 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 you had your own experience of being in your own apartment. But the 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 idea of being the only gender, <laughs> like the, your own representation of your gender in a space, is definitely a, a weird experience. I and and also for for a while, I'd been a little, I don't know, like if if somebody said uh, you should join business clubs for women or we're having this event for women I kind of felt bad because I had this reaction of um do you think that I need help like compared to the guys there's no there's no Mm -hmm. club for guys like why do you I remember people would have events they're like uh how to have a conversation for women and I'm like what is this about? But but I know that there's this whole other space where people really value that and, and love having the space for women. And and I remember growing up in, in high school, um, I was really involved with my church and they they had this um this thing on Monday nights where the all of the girls, it was called a girls group, and we would go to uh one of our youth leaders' houses and just spend time there. And it wasn't as much of a religious thing. Um, but it was more like just spending time with other girls and just talking about how your week went, talking about how uh, everything's going on in school. And it's a totally different dynamic to just to just be with other girls. So I don't know. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And I kind of feel bad for having that that view, but it always was just a little frustrating because I never felt like like anybody else felt the same way or, or talked about how that frustration of feeling like, oh, do you think I, I need you and that I can't do this on my own and the guys don't need help and, and they're just fine on their own, but I need your help. Mm. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I, I thank you for sharing that with me because I think um, it's a vulnerable thing to share an unpopular opinion, right? Especially yeah. <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a wide platform like this. So good for you for standing in your truth. Uh, what I will say to that is that I never really feel bad about women-centric events or resources, mostly because I think you know, these clubs for men in business don't necessarily exist. Let's, let's frame this within Drexel's context, right? Because I don't want to generalize for like the entire world. I'm sure there's (laughs) many men's clubs out there um, and organizations that are geared towards only men. Um, I do think that there is a certain level of inclusivity um, and accessibility that you need 
to, to be mindful of when you are creating groups or planning events, um, that you really don't want to be discriminatory towards any one type of person or, or thing or place or being. Um, but I, I think that it's really important to have spaces that are geared towards minority groups. So let's take the Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion as, a, as an example. We had spaces, um, we, we had offices within the Drexel SEDI uh, for, we had the Women's Resource Center, um, we had the TLU, which is for like black and brown students, mm-hmm. um, the gender and sexuality resource space, which is geared towards members of the LGBTQ plus community, uh, the Latinx community resource space. Um, we also have spiritual and religious life underneath um, this category and the recovery resource space for students who are recovering from any type of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the goal of all of this is really to support and empower students of all backgrounds as they build a sense of community that reflects the diversity of Drexel University student body. Um, and so, you know, to be an active advocate for all students, you have to make sure that resources are available to those who don't have resources as available to them. So I think the reason why men-centric groups typically don't exist or you don't really see them as often is because most resources are easily accessible by men or, mm-hmm. or at least by cis heterosexual uh, men, it's easier for them to learn how to talk within a business context, to learn how to do well in an interview or write a resume. Um, But another example of a, of a, not just a student body type, but of people, a a community that I've specifically worked with is people with autism. Mm. Um, And we taught them a lot. I I worked at a sleepaway camp, several sleepaway camps, one in Pennsylvania and then one in Michigan. um, Yeah, Dragonfly, right? Yes, Dragonfly Forest <laughs> and Camp Tall Tree is the one in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, we had this one group called Explorers, or it is, excuse me, a program called Explorers that was geared towards people who are six ages, like 16 to 26, um, who are on the autism spectrum. And we taught basic things, uh, well, basic to us, but things like again, how to speak in an interview, how to clean your house, how to cook basic meals, um, how to rake leaves, how to write a resume and tie a tie and how to buy tickets at the movie theater, simple things that um, neurotypical people may take for granted because we just naturally know, uh, you know, we, we exist in a society that makes it very easy for us to do these things. Um, but we don't necessarily I mean, most design in the world is not accessible. It wasn't until the 1980s that they even, uh, that the ADA was, I believe that the ADA was established and that they created um, ramps, that you had to have ramps on the sidewalks or or Mm. at the very least a divot in the corner um, for folks who are in a wheelchair. But when you design a space that is, so that's a, the best example of accessibility out there. And this goes, you know, it, it, it correlates with web design, um, with experiential design in the physical space, and also just kind of like life in general. So when you design a sidewalk to have a divot in the corner for folks who are in a wheelchair, uh, you're also helping kids on skateboards. 
Mm. Uh, a, a business person who's carrying a suitcase behind them, a, a, um, a FedEx delivery guy who has a trolley filled with packages, a mother with a stroller with a baby inside, um, uh, you know, somebody who's on roller skates, like so many different people benefit from a design that specifically had this minority group in mind. Mm. And that was really the purpose of um, kind of the events that we did within the SCBI was to to give resources to those who specifically need them, and it ends up benefiting everybody, right? Mm. So when you see an event that's geared specifically towards women, that's not to say that you need it more than other people, but that resource probably exists because there are women who feel a lack of resources in that area. And it's really important that when you are a designer, you can think about how can I make this easier for a group that things are naturally harder for given their life experience. And when you when you're designing things through that viewpoint and really keeping that perspective at the forefront of your process. And this is really uh, what, what I think people mean when they refer to a human centered design process Mm -hmm. is that you're really considering the human experience on the other side. And if things are more difficult for one group or the other, you want to cater towards the group that's going to have the most difficulty with something. And when you simplify a frustrating or challenging process um, for a community that already is frustrated and deals with so many challenges in their day-to-day life, you're actually going to simplify the lives of not only that community or group, but everybody. When you make mm-hmm. things simple um, for, for people who things are harder for generally, you make it easier for everybody, regardless of what kind of identity, uh, what, what kind of group you identify within. Absolutely. I, I remember listening to someone talk about, uh, she, I used to work for an architecture company in, uh, in New York. And uh, the one person that I, I really, really loved spending time with, um, her name is Cassie. Uh, she was telling me about an event she went to where it was uh, teaching, uh, uh, it was a, a women's event. So probably uh, probably a little similar to the kind of guests that you would bring in for your events. And they were talking about um, public speaking and how to give a presentation at work and all this kind of stuff. And um, and. And she said that it was it was so valuable and it was such a, a great atmosphere that she was in. But I I definitely do remember that that moment. And maybe it's just like all of the years of hearing it from all these different people. And um and some of the classes that I was in in college in in high school, there was a little bit of a a tone against me like being a girl sometimes I don't know it was kind of weird I was I just started getting really defensive over like anybody uh coming up to me and and saying things that made me feel like being a a girl or being a woman was somehow this like disability or something like that or something that that had to be um amended for but this this idea that that um that you can have these programs and that you can you can have all of these resources um, that are available because of a, a bigger thing more than just yourself, just because even just like the, the way that um, 
that people like historically sometimes treat daughters versus sons like the kinds of responsibilities that you put on the kids right or how you raise them and the historical um implications of that there's there is a difference for some people so so I don't know I there was always this yeah it was just a frustration that that people would would think would would assume things about me before they even met me of like oh you should go to this event uh um, because they'll teach you how to talk. Meanwhile, they would like not tell the person that was sitting next to me because he was a guy. I'm like, well, why mm-hmm. do you think I need it? And I, and he doesn't need it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I, I really love the way that you're talking about it, about it's, it's bigger than, than just you. And, and because the way that people sometimes treat women or raise women, it, it really, it really does help people, even if, even it's, if it's not exactly something that you would think to go to it it's it sounds really wonderful that that's what you were doing for people i think the way you're feeling um and have have felt about identity based practices is not necessarily a unique perspective on that um and i think that what you're feeling is like being othered Uh, And something that, you know, I really tried to embody during my time in the Women's Resource Center um, and the SCDI as a whole, uh, as well as my role now as an experienced designer is to really ensure that the people that I'm working with and working for can feel like their whole identity is included and respected and appreciated. And I think that there's a lot of business and I don't know entire industries out there right now that have not had this perspective before and there's definitely a paradigm shift that's happening now um, especially after all of the social justice movements uh, that happened last year and everything that has been leading up to these moments of momentous change for decades all of the people that have worked really hard to make sure that things like mental health are being discussed um, or that even you know one of the radical things that we had in the SCDI was free condoms like having access (laughs) to sexual education I had Mm. students who came in and said I grew up in a very religious household my parents were extremely like you know, by the Bible. And the only thing I was ever taught is abstinence. But now Mm. I have a boyfriend and I am scared that I am going to get pregnant and I don't know how any of this works. And, you know, they come to me 18 years old and are like, can you tell me how the female anatomy even works? Like, I don't know any of this because I wasn't taught it. Yeah. And so when you create space that is you know, it just allows people to feel really safe to come and ask questions and just learn about things that they haven't had access to before. That You know what, that's really the number one thing I think that I've learned in the past year is with the political climate of the election last year, and now all the, this bipartisan issue of getting vaccinated or being anti-vax, like we have this problem in America specifically where we really love to divide people into groups and then pit them against each other instead of looking at the systems that have put us in this place. Um, And Mm. so I have really tried to practice in the past year, not judging people for having a different comfort level when it comes to living your life during COVID or um, getting the vaccine. Like I can feel the way that I feel about me and my personal 
you know, my, myself personally and my body, I'm in charge of my body. No one else is in charge of that. And so my opinion, like if I want that respect for me, then I need to have that same respect for other people. And so I try mm. and just be really open-minded and hearing people's reasons why they feel the way they feel, because, you know, when you, um, when you clump together and generalize large populations of people, as if you want to take the example of anti-vaxxers, like when you talk to the, them as an individual, you learn a lot about the reasons why they don't trust the government or why they don't trust vaccines. And a lot of times it's a cultural perspective that has existed within their family for generations and runs mm. really deep. And it doesn't, you know, feel in alignment with their values. But most of the time, they just don't know because they didn't get good education growing up where they learned about science. And many of us did not learn the science of vaccines. So like mm. it's a it's a particularly touchy subject, that one. Um, but I feel that I've learned this lesson at a really valuable point in my life where as I'm entering kind of like this adult world uh, in, in my professional career, and like I said, I'm working with people from all around the globe. So there's so many different perspectives coming into play. It's really important that not only within my own work um like my work relations within my company, but that I keep an open mind for the users that I'm designing for at the end of the day. Like my personal biases and opinions, which are there because of the way that we are raised within our society. And, you know, I am a, a, a white woman. I hold an immense amount of privilege and I recognize that every single day. And I really try to go out of my way to make sure that I'm using that for good instead of evil and lifting other people up instead of pushing them down and making it harder for people um, to get to the same level that I'm on. Like, I want us all to win. If you are in my life, like, I am not competing with you. I want you to win. I want me to win. I want us all to win. And I want the system to burn. Like, <laughs> I think that putting us against each other is never going to be the answer. We have to look within ourselves and have more empathy for one another and understand that the only way we are going to get out of this divisive, you know, constant fighting and like Republican, Democrat, vaxxer, anti-vaxxer, like all of these othering type experiences, we have to just take a step back and realize like at the end of the day, we are all human, no matter what color or gender or age or, or uh, um, ethnicity you are, like we all have the same skeletons. Most of, <laughs> you know, most of us, like we, you have the same body systems. We all follow the same schedule of the sun and the moon and the earth that we live on is the same. And you just really have to bring the humanity back into the way we live now. And the inter internet is a, beautiful, beautiful thing that can connect you to people who, like I, I mentioned, you know, with my experience on Tumblr, like finding people who for the first time really feel like a representation of your views, a community that you may have been craving for, for years. Um, but you have to break out of those echo chambers sometimes and diversify the people that you're interacting with and, and really just not dilute people down to these identity categories and instead just view them as like complex individuals who 
are basically just little kids who are navigating the world for the very <laughs> first time based off of their personal experiences. Like that is, that's the thing is that, you know, I, I feel, I felt very, um, I, I felt a little imposter syndrome when I first started this role back in August, because I was mm. like, what the heck am I doing? I'm the youngest person at this whole company. And I, you know, I know a lot, but I, do I know enough? Um, and the thing is, the people that are my mentors and my directors at work, like they're incredibly talented, educated people who are chock full of knowledge, but they ask themselves the same questions. Like, Absolutely, am I doing yeah. good enough? Do I know enough? Am I working hard enough? Do people feel like I'm slacking? Like we're all insecure about a lot of the same things. And when you can just go about your life in and out of the workplace or, or on and off campus um, with yourself, with your friends, family, strangers, is to just treat everybody with respect and kindness and recognize the humanity at the core of everything you do. Like you will live a much more fulfilling life and you're going to meet people who really you know, feel the same way. And I just think you have to put out that energy in order to attract it into your life. Um, and I love my job specifically because it challenges me to do that so often. I I can totally relate to the, the amount of just, there's a very neat feeling that happens when you have this idea of what let's say on any issue, what the other side is like, or, or you kind of have this idea of what they think or, or anything like that. When I was in, in high school, um, uh, I don't know if any of them would uh, listen to this or, or ever hear this, but a lot of the, uh, a a few of the guys that I dated at that time period, uh, um, all of their, I don't know how that happened, but their, their views were completely different than mine. And, just just having that that relationship with someone that is is so close both on like a relationship level and on a friendship level um is it's it was so nice to to get to know somebody and really hear what they think because you love that person uh and and it totally changed the way going into college um how i how i interacted with people that thought differently than me um and it it changed who I was as a person so if you're listening to this and I dated you thanks um (laughs) (laughs) but uh um but yeah so it and and I'm sure that that changed the way that I I looked at user experience and and listening to people that maybe I think that the the system is working well and then they have a totally different opinion and really understanding and and it's one thing to to hear somebody, but to really process what they're saying and and care about what they're saying and trying to get to the root of the problem, that's that's half the battle. And and totally and I so I'm I just wanted to say that uh, I totally relate to what you're talking about. It's so important, and the more people that can really understand and 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 have that empathy to just put their ego to the side and understand what the other person is saying, whether it's at work, whether it's at home or no matter what industry that you're in. Um, it's, it's so important. And I, I really hope that everybody has the opportunity to, to, uh, just really get to know someone and, and, and care about somebody that is 
looks at the world totally different than than you do and and not end up in a fight every time <laughs> right yes that's so important it, it's it's everything and you know that that makes me think of um this project that I've been working on for almost a year now with my amazing friend and co-founder Kaylin Malin Wilson who is probably the dopest person I've ever met um she <laughs> is so passionate she was a UX designer for almost 10 years um she worked in a Philadelphia studio called Blue Cadet uh, for a long time. Oh, yes. And yeah, so in uh, 2017, I believe her mother had a stroke um, oh, that rendered the left side of her body like almost entirely um, useless. She was having trouble seeing, having trouble moving her hands and her, her feet, uh, went to so many different doctor's appointments, got a million different perspectives, but the healthcare system can drag you through the mud sometimes without ever giving you any advice, solace, guidance, resources. Um, And it wasn't until one day somebody whispered to Kaylin when she was there with her mother at the appointment that she should pursue looking into the medical marijuana program. Mm. Um, Long story short, she ended up quitting her job as a UX designer and was like, I got to go work for weed because because it was the magic, (laughs) magic medicine that cured her mother. Um, She has full mobility. She's out here like building and rehabbing houses. Um, She's incredibly lively, living her best life, just absolutely thriving. Thank you to the power of medicinal cannabis. And so Kaylin started this educational um, like resource platform called Green Thumb EDU. I, I wanted saw- to ask you about that because I saw that connected to your profile. I, I'm so excited to hear more. Yes. So I actually saw Kaylin speak at a uh, really dope conference called Fearless Con in October 2019. It's put on by this amazing self-made entrepreneur from Philadelphia, Melissa Alam. Um, and Kaylin was on a panel about women's uh, wellness and I saved a bunch of the resources that were spread around the event um, about, you know, if you're looking into exploring CBD, uh, how you go about that and how you should talk to your doctor and what you should know. Um, I just found their approach to this like very vast, daunting and totally filled with um, propaganda you know, like industry that it it can be difficult to navigate the cannabis space, especially now that there are 40,000 people who are incarcerated from prior Mm -hmm. crimes related to marijuana. Um, But all of these rich white dudes are making a lot of money off of cannabis. So it's just kind of a confusing industry. And um, I really respected and admired Kaylin's approach to just making it so accessible and talking about like we were just talking about, like the the human side of this experience. Um, I ended up connecting with Kaylin last March and we just immediately hit it off. Uh, we started talking all of the time and bouncing ideas off of each other. We're like the same person in two different bodies that live two very different lives. Um, <laughs> and it has just been so incredible getting to know her and working together that last fall I ended up joining her as the co-founder for Green the Media. Wow. That's um, a big so, step. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, it was funny because it's during the pandemic. So we actually never even hung out until I met her for the 
first time uh, on my birthday this year. So back in January and just not even two weeks ago, we like hung out the two of us and hugged for the very first time. (laughs) And it was amazing. Um, It's so incredible, like what kind of relationships, deep, intimate, wonderful relationships you can create only through a virtual setting um it just really goes to show you like the power of digital media um but we you know started building a business together and we have seen so many different phases of it even since I rolled on at the end of the summer um we ended up going through a big name change and I'm happy to announce because we will be announcing tomorrow actually so today today's June 8th I'm not sure when this podcast will be out but (laughs) tomorrow on 6-9 we will be announcing our new name is 69 and sunny and it is a modern schoolhouse for self-exploration so we are creating a platform online where you can find yourself you can ask the questions it's a safe space where you are going to be introduced to all sorts of different topics about music and art and weed and sex and wellness and you know everything that you've ever wanted to know like we just want to create a space where people can come together where we are eradicating loneliness through empathy and connection music and nature and just really making people feel special. So I'm so excited to see where this journey takes us. I have no idea exactly where it's heading, but we have been connecting with so many incredible people and organizations and brands. We have a fabulous list of 10 companies that are working with us that we we call them our neighborhood. There are our neighbors who support us. Um, through this whole name change uh, journey, but also through the entirety of 2021. While we have been raising funds, we had a really successful uh, campaign back in February that we called Make History Month. um, And we raised over $11,000 uh, oh from goodness. from our our amazing community that really just believes in the mission and you know like we talked about with the UX process like the best thing you can do is talk to people talk to real life people and get their insight on things but even if you can't connect with individuals maybe you're shy and you don't want to do that within the UX role you can always just stand by and take notes um, and that's what we've both been doing for the past year is just talking to so many different types of people from different places about different things and seeing what it is that people really want and need right now and it turns out that just the number one thing people want is like a space and people to have fun with people just want to have fun it has been a hard year with a lot of hard lessons attached to it and I feel so fortunate that my year has been filled with also a lot of blessings I know there's so many people who have not had the same fate and I just want to express like my sincere gratitude for everything that I've been able to achieve and receive in the past year Um, I feel really fortunate and blessed to have been connected to so many people that are motivated to do their best work to make the world the best that it can be Um, and I am just so thrilled to see where this all takes us Oh my goodness. I I want to ask you how um uh, where where is this community going to be hosted? Is it have its own site or is it through a, a bigger social media site platform? 
yeah, so it's going to be our own space. I mean, of course, we'll have a profile on all of the uh, social media platforms that you probably frequent. Um, but our goal is really to create our own like world online and, you know, see kind of like when you're playing Sims or if you ever played like <laughs> Disney's Pixie Hollow, that was oh, like yeah. shit back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So like, I want to create a world that you can interact with and go and meet new people and see what's happening in different communities and watch music videos and learn languages like a Anything that you want to know, we're going to be, we're going to have space for it. And you're going to be able to connect with people who feel um, the same and are talking about the same things and are interested in the same activities. So if you've got any ideas, if any of your listeners have any ideas, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, as of tomorrow, it will be oh, 69andsunny.tv. Uh, and I, I cannot wait to share the final product with you. Again, I think like it will be iterative forever, probably. Like <laughs> we'll never be done with it. Um, but any ideas people have, like I'm so open to hearing them. The, the sky is really the limit with this one. And I just can't wait to make a space for you and anybody who's listening to just come and be yourself and meet other people. That's that's amazing. Well, this sounds like a wonderful, happy note to end on. I'm thank you so much for coming on and telling me about everything that you're doing and everything that you're planning on doing in the future. And and I'm so excited for everything that's going to happen for you in the next next few months uh, and the next year or so. Um, I'm going to uh, close up with uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'll tell them about my contact info and then we'll end with you how to how they can contact you and also uh, where they can find uh, uh, this community and learn more about it. Um, so uh, so my name is Emily Giordano. I'm a uh, uh, contract web designer and developer um if there's if there's any projects that that you're looking out for um uh, uh web design membership websites cool interactive animations or anything like that that's that's my favorite thing to do if uh if you think that I'm the right fit for you or you want to learn a little bit more about me uh you can uh email me at emily at greatdesignlead.com or you can uh, find me on my company website, which is uh, greatdesignlead.com. And so now we're going to switch over to Caroline. She's going to tell you where you can find her and then uh, where you can keep up to date um, when her new project comes out. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. If you made it this far in the conversation, um, <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about. You can find me on Instagram. I'm mostly active there, a little more active than I would like to be on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those habits I'm trying to kick, but you can follow me at HTTP Caroline on Instagram. Um, I would be happy to give you any of my personal contact information um, if you reach out through direct messages messages there, uh, as well as my community platform is again, 69andsunny.tv on Instagram. And we will have more information on where you can find us coming up in the next couple months. So stay tuned. Perfect. And, uh, and all of these links that we're talking about, I'll put in the description. Um, but thank you so much for coming, Caroline. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me, Emily. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And <laughs> I really uh, appreciate the chance to be on your show. I can't wait well, to come back and talk about what's next. 
Oh, I'd love that. All right. Well, until next time. <laughs>